Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads. We're here to serve you in any way that we can. For more information about our resources or our church, you can check out hope at crossroads.org. Online, you can find access to other resources like devotionals and study books. Thanks again for joining us. And now let's start this week's message. Amen. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, open up to Romans chapter 1. And this morning, uh, we will be beginning a new series. While you're turning there, uh, let me say Happy New Year. And um, I'm not one of New Year's resolutions. You might be, and that's okay, because I normally don't keep mine. However, I will say to us, if you are expecting... Uh, different results in 2024 than you had in 2023, and you're in, your plan is to do the same thing you did in 2023, that is called the definition of insanity. Good. You know that. You know that. Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results does not work. And so my prayer for myself, as well as for you, is this year we will open our hearts and our minds to maybe do some different things that will allow God to do some different things uh, in us. And uh, I know next um, Sunday evening, we'll be getting back into a a kind of a routine, but it will be new at 5 o'clock on Sunday nights. Uh, Our choir is going to kick back off for every age group. So if you've wanted to participate in the choir this coming Sunday night at 5 will be your opportunity, and then the following week on the 21st, we'll be starting our Disciple Life program. So all this is in your handout, and one of the things that I'm going to do, just newsflash in 2024, is begin to limit the 15 minutes of announcement time that we take during the service, and trust that you can read the handout, okay? Uh, I know you didn't come to church to hear announcements, so I want to encourage you, if you will, to check that out. Our Wednesday night Bible study for our uh, adults is going to be starting back on the 17th as well. So please make note of that. Romans, why are we looking at Romans? I've had some people ask me this question. Why are we looking at it, number one? Why are we looking at, at, at it together as a church? Number two, great questions, great questions. Uh, the book of Romans is a very important book in the Bible. And uh, it had an impact uh, all throughout our Christian heritage and Christian history, going all the way back to a guy who lived in the 300s named Augustine. As a matter of fact, in 386, the year 386, this young guy named Augustine was weeping in the backyard of a friend. He reaches over and picks up a scroll that has a passage from Romans on it. He begins to read it, and the Holy Spirit convinces him that he is in need of a Savior, and he gives his life to Jesus. Uh, It also has impacted somebody that you may uh, remember named Martin Luther. The name Martin Luther in 1513, a young guy named Martin Luther, he was studying, he was actually teaching the book of Psalms to a group of seminary students, and yet inside he did not really have a relationship with Jesus, and he started thinking about the book of Romans, and he started to read the book of Romans, and it uh, history tells us that at that point, as he read the book of Romans, he felt like he needed to give his life to Jesus. Now, let's just stop right there. You may say, Pastor Jack, is it possible to teach a group of seminary students and not know Jesus? Yes, it is. 
Is it possible to pastor a church and not know Jesus? Yes, it is. Is it possible to teach a small group and not know Jesus? Yes, it is. Is it possible to attend church week after week after week and not know Jesus? Yes, it is. It is. It's scary. And church, my heart breaks. It breaks because as a young kid who grew up in a fantastic church 40 miles north of here, with a fantastic youth group of a couple hundred people, I went through all the exterior motions and all the trapments of things that we think were Christian strapped onto me in my life. And the truth of the matter is, if I died, I'd have gone to hell in a heartbeat. Because I had not believed in the grace and the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which makes all the difference. All the difference. And so when I read about great Christian historians and theologians and people that we talk about now on this side of history in 2024. i got to start saying 2024. I said 2023 for so long. That's going to be hard. 2024. Okay. When I think about them, I think, wow. You mean some of these guys struggled in trying to understand what the grace and righteousness of Jesus was about? Well, yes, they did. Even John Wesley in 1738, he was a failed minister and missionary, and he reluctantly got talked to, into uh, by a friend to go to a small Bible study. And he went to this Bible study, and while he's listening to this Bible study, here he is, a missionary. He's listening to this Bible study being preached and taught in London. He was saved that very night. And here's what some of these people say about the book of Romans. Martin Luther says this, it's the chief part of the New Testament, the absolute epitome of the gospel. John Calvin said this, when you open up this epistle, Paul has a passage that teaches the whole understanding of Scripture. Somebody also said this, Frederick uh, Goated, a 19th century theologian, said that the book of Romans is the cathedral of the Christian faith. And so the book of Romans, the reality is it has life-changing truth in it. And so we have to understand, and we're going to find out this morning as we look at the first few verses of chapter 1, why this book is so important and really foundational to the Christian life. So if you were to say, Pastor Jack, again, why are we doing this? Because guys and gals, ladies and gentlemen, my heart is that for every one of us in this church to be able to stand on the concrete rock-solid foundation of Jesus Christ. I wish you could have been with us in the Dominican. I was so proud of our young people and our adults. We had three or four other people that jumped on our team. Uh, One was a mom and her two kids from Dallas, Texas. Her son was nine years old, named Maverick. I wonder what movie they watched about ten years ago. And little Maverick, every time we would go out in the village or at mealtime, we'd say, will anybody pray? And he was like, not bashful at all, not timid. And uh, I thought, wow, there's, there's been some home study happening in that kid's life. Because he's not ashamed of Jesus and he's ready to go. And I want, as one of the pastors here in this church, my, my desire that I cry and beg God for every week is that for every member of our church would have that rock-solid anchor in Jesus. Because the more solid each of us are individually, the more solid our church is corporately, the more impact we can have in this community and around the world. And so the book of Romans is a great place to start. So you may say uh, this morning, why is it important? 
The second thing you may ask there on your outline, if you want to take notes, is, is uh, well, when was it written? When was this book that we're going to look at, when was it written? It's almost universally agreed. Paul most probably wrote the book of Romans from the city of Corinth on his third missionary journey. You can find out that story in Acts chapter 20. So it would be somewhere between 53 and 58 A.D. when he wrote this book. And when he wrote this book, he had already been a Christian preacher for two decades. So he had countless experiences and a lot of things that he had seen in his 20 years, he's thinking, okay, wow, how can I respond to these people in a way that will help them grow? Just so you know, that's the way pastors and preachers think. I've been here five years, and that's the way I think. I hear what you guys are saying for the most part, sometimes through the grapevine. Sometimes you tell me. I hear from our small group teachers. I hear from our staff. And, I, and my prayer is, what can I say? What can we teach? What do we need to read? What do we need to study to help our church grow? These are not like happenstance choices. Our staff painstakingly prays about these decisions. And Paul did the same thing. And so he was about to go to Rome, and we read in Acts chapter 21 that he was warned about this peril that was happening in Jerusalem. So perhaps he asked himself this question, what if I'm not able to make it to Rome and I need to send to them a a letter with all the information in it that I can in case I don't get there? And that's why the book of Romans is so detailed. And that mindset, by the way, is quite a mindset of discipleship. He's wanting to get down on paper everything he can to make sure it's communicated to the people there. So who wrote it then? Paul Paul wrote it. Paul, as you know, is an interesting person. He is the person who wrote most of our New Testament letters and epistles in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians, Colossians. A great writer of the New Testament. So let's begin reading and see what Paul has to say to us. Verse 1, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. All right, hit hit pause just for a second. And we're going to stop along the way because there are some phenomenal words in here and we're going to kind of outline them uh, on this, uh, for you in just a minute, but let's talk about who Paul is. It says, Paul, a bond servant. So, by, by the way, these first seven verses, if you have a study Bible, you know this. These first seven verses of, the, of, the, of chapter 1 is the introduction. It's like a salutation. It's like, dear Frank. And then these seven verses are it's still in the dear part. It's still in the beginning part of his letter. And he says he is a bond servant. He is identifying and letting them know who he is. Now, it's interesting. Church, help me here because so often we read the Scripture and we're not mentally thinking who he is writing to. He's writing to the Roman Empire who were very familiar with bond servants and slaves because there were millions of them at the time. So here he is writing this letter saying, Hey, I'm Paul. I'm a slave. What? Hello? What? Not only slave, but a bond servant, which was an even more powerful word that he is saying, which literally meant he was going to be a servant, a slave of Jesus Christ. And then he said, secondly, called as an apostle. 
set apart for the gospel of God. Now, now, let me just stop. First of all, he says, I'm a servant. Second, I'm an apostle. First, he says, I'm a servant. A servant is who he is. The second thing he says is, I'm an apostle. The apostle is what he did. By writing scripture and by teaching, it's what he did. Now you say, why is that important, Jack? Here's why it's important. So many of us confuse who we are with what we do. Church, I want to encourage you today. You're not what you do. You're not what you do. You're who you are. A child of God, holy, blameless, beyond reproach, redeemed, saved by the blood of the Lamb, inheritor of the grace and the riches of Christ Jesus. That's who you are. And you and I need to know that. Because if we base our identification on what we do, the devil's going to use that. He's even going to use it. He can even use it for you if you're in ministry. I had a dear pastor friend of mine in North Carolina several years ago who called me. I grew up with him. He called me and said, hey, can you have, can you have coffee? Can you drive up to the state line? I need somebody to talk to. I said, sure. I jumped in the car and I drove up and we met at one of those beautiful places that God's provided all across interstates around the country called Waffle House. Fantastic. I'm sitting there in the booth. He and I are talking, and he's like, man, I have tried everything at my church. Things just aren't happening. I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing this, and I'm doing that. And I can tell him he's just starting to weep. And by the way, I know how that feels. And he is just weeping. And I finally said to him, I, Ryan, can I ask you a question? I probably shouldn't have told you his name, but you don't know him. Jim Bob was his name. I finally said, I got a question for you. He said, what? I said, if you resign from your church tomorrow and you left your church and you walked away and you were simply a Christian, you were just simply a child of God, do you think God would love you? And he started crying even harder. And he's like, I'm just not sure. Church, you are not what you do. You are who God says you are. And if the Apostle Paul can remind us of that in the very first couple of verses of this chapter, how important must that be? We are not what we do. We are who we are. We are God's children. And that's so important because God may often change through your life. And some of our older folks could come up here and give testimony better than I can. That God changes what you do many, many times in your life. I feel like I've had like six careers. I feel like I've been six different people. And you know what? The first couple of times that happened, it started freaking me out. I'm like, God, who, well, how am I going to do that? That's not who I am. And God said, that is who you are. Who you are and what you do are two different things. For, for some of you, that's all you needed today. If it is, you feel free to slip out and go on home. Because that's good stuff. It's not good because I'm saying it's good because God says it. Man, He loves you. He has a purpose for you. He has a plan for you. It's not contingent upon what you do. What you do is important. God calls us at seasons to do different things, yeah. But He called you out and gave His life for you long before you took that job. Long before you took that career. Long before you accepted that calling. And he also goes on to say, not only am I a bondservant, not only, not only am I called as an apostle, but I am set 
apart for the gospel of God. Church, I just want to tell you today, every man and woman, young person, young man, young woman in here who says, I am a follower of Jesus, guess what? You are set apart. You're special. Now, some people used to say that to me when I was a kid, and I don't think they meant it in a positive way. But God says you're special. And you're set apart as an ambassador, as a messenger. And then he says this, set apart for the gospel of God. Now, we're going to camp out here just for a couple minutes because this is so important. Paul's message throughout all of his letters, but most importantly, the book of Romans, Paul's message is set apart for the gospel of God. Now, we all know, if you've been in church at any time, that the gospel means good news. It's the gospel of God in the sense that it belongs to God. God is the creator of this idea. It's not an idea that Paul made up. The gospel is not some invention of modern man. It's invented by God Almighty. And Paul's saying, I'm simply a messenger of it. Now, here's what's interesting about that phrase, the gospel of God. Other New Testament letters that Paul writes are more focused on the church and the problems that are happening in the church, which is why we're not addressing those letters over the next few weeks. Because this letter is focused on one thing, God. Because, see, here's what's, here's what's profound. When you and I get our relationship and our understanding of how we connect to God right, this way, all the other stuff works itself out. Not that we can't talk about those issues about unity and about getting along and relationships and how to deal with our finances and why we should give and support the work of the church and all those things are important. But when we get this right, all these other things happen. In other words, if my relationship with God is right, I don't have to worry about whether I'm going to give to support the things of God. My heart will want to give to support the things of God. If my relationship, yeah, there was only one amen there. That was a good place, by the way. If my relationship with God is right, I won't have to worry about am I going to have a bad attitude to my wife or my kids. My attitude to my wife and my kids will be right because my relationship with God is right. And so this letter that he's writing is paramount, it's foundational because he's saying, get everything in line with understanding who you are and how you connect to God and everything else will work itself out. I'm not suggesting that we take books of the Bible out. However, if the only book of the Bible that you had at your disposal was the book of Romans, you'd be all right if you actually did what it said to do. So this good news, this gospel of God that he's talking about, God is the most important word in this book, in this epistle that he's writing. And a matter of fact, this, word, this, this phrase, the gospel of God's important, the word God occurs 153 times in the book of Romans, an average of one time every 46 words you see the word God. That's pretty crazy. There are a lot of other words that appear multiple times. The word law, 72, sin, 48 times, faith, 40 times. And Roman deals with a lot of these themes, but the most important theme that he deals with in this book is about God. So let's keep on reading and figure out the next question, because if you're like me, I'm going, okay, what is Paul trying to tell us? And here's what he tries to tell us. 
He says this, I'm a bondservant, I'm called as an apostle, I'm set apart for the gospel of God, which, verse 2, he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. Among whom you also are the call of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All that was dear Frank. That was just the introduction. So what's he trying to say to us? Here's the first thing he says in those verses, verse 2. Here's the point. The gospel's been around since the beginning. The good news, the gospel, has been around since the beginning of time. I hear well-meaning Christians make comments like this, and it reflects they don't know God's word. Well, we messed up, so God had to figure out a plan, and he had to decide to send his son to die for us. God knew that before the foundation of the planet. Because he's all-knowing. He had already determined before the beginning of the world that he was going to need to provide a sacrifice through his son Jesus for mankind. So the good news has been around from the beginning. How smart does that make God that he knew that's what was going to need to happen? It's been promised through his apostles. But here's the second thing that we can get from those verses. He mentions this several times. Verse 3, concerning his son. Verse 4, declared the son of God. End of verse 4, Jesus Christ our Lord. The gospel. The center. The second thing we can learn from, from Paul is the center of Christianity is not a teaching, it's not a set of rules or requirements, it's not a morality system. The center of, the, of Christianity is Jesus Christ. It's a person. It's a person. Some of you are looking at me like, please don't go out of town again. I know, every time I go out of town, I get fired up. I'm sorry. I, I'm always honest with you. I don't even know why I say can I be honest because I always am. This point right here, I I grieve over this for some of us in our church and in churches across America. Because we have turned what God meant to set us free through his righteousness and his gift of grace. We have turned into a set of rules and regulations and things we do and things we don't do. And if you are here this morning, I'm going to set you free. If you are here this morning and you are bored and following Jesus is lame and you're sick and tired and you're worn out and you're not happy and there's no joy, I want to tell you this with all the love in my heart. You are following a set of rules and regulations and not a live holy. God. Kind of quiet, kind of quiet. It's okay. I saw a bunch of listings for pastors in the Baptist Courier. Church, there are churches all over the land that you walk in and it's like, where is the joy? Wait a minute. You guys are following Jesus. Where's the joy? And we wonder why people walk back out the door because there's no joy. There's no life. And where there's no joy and there's no life, there's no Jesus. Because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So you're passionate about it. I'm passionate about it because I've been there. I'm passionate about it because I was. 
I was a church member, baptized, name on the roll, attendance, perfect attendance, star, patch, beautiful, beautiful Bible, everything, and I didn't know Jesus. I knew rules and regulations, but I didn't know Jesus. Now, I'm not saying we throw all the rules and regulations out. The Bible's full of guidelines and teachings and commandments. But I don't do those out of duty. I do those because I love Jesus Christ. And there's a world of difference. I remember growing up doing everything my mom and dad wanted me to do. Why? Because I knew if I didn't, I was going to get an unleashing from the B-E-L-T. And that's a great way to keep your kids in line. But hopefully somewhere across the path after that discipline, it grows into they realize how much you love them and they start wanting to please you out of desire to please the father's heart and the mother's heart and not just because they don't want to get spanked. Some of us are following after God because we are afraid he's going to send us to hell. We're not following God because we love him with all of our heart. There's a big difference. And I'm really passionate about this because this is where the church in America has lost our young people. They don't want to be a part of a church like that with all rules and regulations and no joy, life, and peace. And by the way, I'm 55 and I don't either. Because those exist all across the land. But the churches that are few are vibrant and joyful and life and God is infusing them with the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ and power that are thriving and exploding. That's what I want to see and that's what I want to see happen in this place. And I believe God is ready and willing and able to do that right here where we sit. Because it's not about us, it's about Him. And so, so often... Man, I look at the history of my life. I'm just telling you about me this morning. I'm really preaching to myself. I'm telling you about me. So often early in my Christianity, I was trying to morph my behavior. And I was trying to modify my behavior to match what the Bible says it should look like. And I was trying so hard for behavior modification instead of heart transformation. Because here's the reality. We can modify our behavior for so long through our own fleshly attempts and look pretty spiritual, but at some point we will physically wear out and we will fall upon the grace of God and say, Grace, Jesus, I need your grace to do that through me because I cannot do it myself. By the way, if you could do it by yourself, if you could be right and get it right every time, this was an unnecessary way for Jesus to die. You can't do it, and I can't do it. I can't be the kind of pastor I'm supposed to be, the kind of dad I'm supposed to be, the kind of husband I'm supposed to be. As a matter of fact, if you try that, I encourage you, this week, try it for the whole week, just seven days. You will come crawling back into this worship center saying, please, God, I take that burden off. I can't do it. I can't do it. And you know what? You'll be right. Because I can't either. Outside the grace of Jesus. And outside something else that we're going to find out which is so necessary. Paul goes on to say, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, verse 8, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness. God's my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you in my prayers, making requests that perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you in order that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. 
that you may be established. Which is a great word that means rooted. That is that I may be encouraged together with with you all among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. What a great reason to want to go see those fellow brothers and sisters. That should be the reason. That's one of the reasons I love coming to church every Sunday because I'm going to be encouraged when we come together. Can I just challenge you on this very first Sunday of the new year? I'm preaching to the choir because you're here. So tell the other people that aren't here. What a great way to start off the year in God's house. What a great way to start out the year is recommitting yourself to being plugged into a Sunday school class or a small group where you can do the things that Paul's talking about right here. Being encouraged by one another, verse 13. I don't want you to be unaware, he says, that often I've planned to come to you and I've been prevented from doing so in order that I might obtain some fruit from you also. In other words, I want to get some things from you, you get some things from me, we grow together. I'm under obligation both to the Greeks, he says, and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Thus, for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. His whole introduction of the letter, finally he's trying to get to the point of what he is wanting to say. And the theme of his whole book he gets to in the next verse. Are you ready? This is it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. So here's the next thing he's saying to us, church. We shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel. This is revealing his heart. Keep in mind who he's writing to. In this crazy, sophisticated city of Rome, he's saying, don't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ And they're thinking, wait a minute, you're talking about putting my faith in a person who was crucified? This poor Jewish carpenter? You're talking about creating a whole following of people that are going to follow his teaching? A gospel that's centered on that? And Paul is not ashamed. Why is Paul not ashamed? Here's why he's not ashamed. He tells you in that verse. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God. That's why he's not afraid of the gospel. The gospel is power. That's where we get the energy to to do the things that God's called us to do. It's by following the gospel. The gospel is power. We don't give the gospel power by saying yes to the gospel. The gospel is the power. It's the power to be able to do what God has called us to do and to be who God's called us to be. I was trying my best to think of an analogy this morning, thinking how in the world can that communicate? Because so often in our culture, I hear these words too. Lord, forgive me, I will do better. No, you can't do better. God in you is what has to happen. It's almost like if you showed up at my house and said, hey, I got a vehicle for you. Whatever kind of vehicle you'd want to bring would be fine. You just pick on no Brandon needs a vehicle. You pick what kind of kind of vehicle you want, it doesn't matter. If you brought it to my house and said, Hey, here's a great vehicle to you. But by the way, it's missing the gas tank. It wouldn't matter what kind of vehicle it was, how great it was, what kind of stereo system, because I know growing up as a teenager, the stereo system, it had to have a stereo or the car would not even go forward without a good stereo system. I know that. It wouldn't even matter that if the gas tank is missing for some of us, some of us. Church, I love you. Please hear my heart. For some of us, we, we have our vehicle. 
of our Christianity and we're trying to move forward through life and some of us are like dragging the car through life because there's no fuel tank. And we're wondering why we loathe following Jesus so much. I've been there. You say, how in the world do you know that? I know because I've been there and done that. It really doesn't matter about the vehicle. What's inside is what makes the difference of the vehicle. It doesn't matter how big you are, tall you are, wide you are, what color you are as a believer. What makes the difference is the fuel that's inside empowering you and I to live the Christian life. And the fuel is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. It is the power. The gospel is not some advice for us to live better that if we do it, it will lift us up. The power comes from the gospel to lift us up. It's not a self-help program that I hear a lot of our great TV preachers talking about. Your 10 days to your best you, 10 days to your best you is going to lead you straight to hell, by the way, without the gospel. Because it's the power of God that brings about salvation. See, it's interesting because, again, if you know your history, in the city of Rome, they knew all about power. Power is the one thing they knew a lot about, and they boasted the most about Greece. The people of Greece and over in Greek, they had all their philosophies and arts and all that kind of stuff. But Rome, if you really want to be in a powerful city, oh, come over to Rome. We've got the power. We've got the power. But here's what's interesting. Despite all the power that they had, they didn't have the power to save themselves. And the gospel's power is available for everybody. So why wasn't Paul ashamed? Paul wasn't ashamed because he knew that the gospel was the power of God into salvation. Can I ask you a question as we wrap up this morning? How about you and me? I'm going to ask my friend Allison to come up and Brett, if he wants to come with her. You know, it's interesting how God reminds us of things where the power comes from, I'll let them kind of share with you their story. Okay, I'm going to try to get through this without crying, but I'm a crier, so here we go. Um, so if you've had the pleasure to meet our kids, Gunnar Rice and Sadie Rice are our two. Um, and it was pajama day at school. It was before Christmas. And we had purchased, we are a family pajama. We like the Christmas pajamas. We all get matching ones. It's great. Uh, we had purchased these pajamas from Holy Pals, and it tells, it's the nativity scene, basically. And it has the Bible verse on the arm on all the pajamas. And Gunner goes to Sarah Collins, and the night before, me and Brett were laying out their clothes, and Brett's like, okay, he has, you know, the Holy Pals pajamas, or he has these, like, kind of just checkered pajamas. And, and it kind of came to my mind, like, is he going to offend someone? Is he going to upset somebody because he wears these? And Brett kind of said the same thing, and I was like, no, just let Gunner choose. Let's just let Gunner choose what he wants to wear. Well, that morning he comes down, and he says, Mommy, I chose the, the Holy Pals pajamas because I want people to know the real story of Christmas. I want people to know Jesus. And so we get in the car. It just continued that morning. After that blow to my ego, um, we get in the car, and I'm like, Gunner, thank you so much for teaching us a lesson. Like, you, you've taught us something this morning. Thank you. And he goes, well, Mommy, you show me every day. Like, you praise. You sing every day. You pray. You show me what that is. And I'm like, okay, here we go. 
And so we get into the classroom. So not only, you know, I'm boohooing at this point. And we get into the classroom, and this teacher walks up to me after the party, and she goes, Allison, I just want to let you know that Gunner came up to me when I was sick and was like, Miss, Miss Cooper, we're praying for you. I prayed for you, Miss Cooper, and I want to let you know we're praying for you. And she goes, Allison, he is the most tender-hearted child, and I could, he goes, she goes, he's going to be a force. He's going to be a part of the ministry, and I can see him doing that for the rest of his life. And that day really spoke, I think, to both of us, honestly. And having a child who doesn't question if he's going to offend anyone or if anybody's going to make fun of him doesn't question it. You know, to have that much internal just conviction is something that I want to have every single day. And so out of the mouth of babes, I think sometimes our kids just really teach us a hard lesson that we needed to hear that day. So thank you for, you know, Heath pouring into me as a kid and this church pouring into us. And I know Brett went to his church and um, for Kayla and the staff and all the teenagers, everyone that just pours into our children every day, it is so important that we show them the hands and feet and we show them our relationship with God because it's not always pretty and it's not always easy. It's hard, but I think the kids need to see that. Thank you, guys. Thank you. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God into salvation. For everyone that will believe. So here's the question this morning. How about you? How about you? William Barclay explained the meaning of righteousness this way. He said all the verbs in Greek, just a quick Greek lesson, end in double O, which always means to treat or account or reckon a person as in have already having something. So the reality is for you and I, if we've placed our trust in Jesus and we've accepted the gospel, God already sees you as righteous. You don't have to strive for it. God already sees you as righteous. And when you live that way, you start having the boldness to go, how can I be ashamed of that? How can I be ashamed of that? So I don't know how God's speaking to your heart this morning. Maybe... Maybe this morning you need to receive the free gift of God, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God into salvation. I'm not talking about joining a church, small group, putting your name on a card. I'm talking about have you really received the righteousness of Jesus because it will come out of you. You can't keep it bottled up. Maybe this morning you just needed a reminder of the righteousness of God. Maybe a reminder that there are people around this church, around the world, that need to know the righteousness of God, and they know that by the power of the gospel. So I don't know. I'm asking God and been asking Him all week, even while we were in the Dominican, for Him during these invitation times, to, to, for the Holy Spirit to make, make its way and weave to every heart in here to tell you personally, because I'll never know. Impossible. To tell you personally what the application is for you in your world. So for our invitation this morning, a little different. I just wonder if you this morning, one at a time, if you feel impressed in your heart, would stand like Paul and like Gunner, say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God into salvation. I'm not ashamed. Anybody this morning?
one at a time, just loudly so we can hear you. Just, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I heard about four people and about 50 people stood. Do you mean it? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. It's not me. It's not my eloquence. It's not my preaching technique. It's none of that. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that has the power. Man, I want all of us in here to have it and use it and employ it and adapt it and take it out and share it with the world because that's what will change the world. If you're ready to do that this morning, maybe we just sing that chorus and tell the Lord that, Lord, I'm ready to share that, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed. If you're calling me to share it, maybe with a family member, maybe even this afternoon, you need to pick up a phone call, make a phone call, say, hey, let's have coffee. I need to talk to you because maybe a friend, family member you've been praying for who doesn't know Jesus. You're, you're waiting for them to come through the doors of the church. Guess what? You are the church. You go to them. You go to them. Just share your heart. Share your testimony. Lord, we are here this morning. We stand and we tell you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to use it this week. Help our prayer to be, Lord, yes, I will. Help that to be our prayer this week as we go out. Yes, I will lift you high. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads. We're so glad that you joined us for the message today. If Pastor Jack or any of our team can serve you, please reach out to us. You can send us an email at jack at hope at crossroads.org or by visiting our website. We would be most grateful to know where you are listening because we have people all over the world listening to our podcast. You can send us a message through our website. We would appreciate your prayers for us as we are in the midst of a building campaign to reach more children and families in our local community in Greenville County, South Carolina. If you would like to help, you can always make your gift online at our website, hope at crossroads.org. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads.